This is Indian Noir, India's number one horror, crime and dark fantasy storytelling podcast. Bhangad Part 2 When Tariq entered the hall, he was surprised to see that it was packed to the brim. People dressed in formal kurta pajamas, exquisitely patterned shirts and dhotis, saris, ghagras and kurtis were seated on plastic chairs facing a lit stage that was barely visible through the yellow curtains. The ceiling of the hall was blue and a band of floral mural graced the tops of the three whitewashed walls. The stage was a raised platform made from scuffed and weathered wood and the curtains had been clearly washed too many times. Reluctant to disturb the seated patrons, Tariq walked towards a row of men standing at the back to seek their assistance in finding his way to the Bhavar grocery store. But as he approached them, he heard the door to the hall closing behind him, even though he did not see an usher at the door or attendants roaming the hall. The hall was now dark, except for the stage light filtering through the curtain. It cast a yellow glow on the dark faces and the watery eyes that gazed upon it. Tariq approached the man in a thick-set moustache and opened his mouth to air his query. But the man shushed him and pointed towards the stage. A droning piece of music filled the chamber as the curtains parted and the play began. The King in Yellow, Act 2, Scene 2, someone shouted from the side of the stage. The stage's backdrop was dominated by the painting of a balcony overlooking a scenery that looked oddly familiar to Tarek. The dark sky filled with black stars, the still dark surface of the lake. A woman of royal stature was standing with her hands on an ornamental balustrade, gazing at the horizon. The droning music reached a minor crescendo, and the sound of eerie cymbals and infernal flutes threaded into the hellish soundtrack. A set of doors to the left of the stage flew open. A man dressed in a tattered yellow robe, his face covered by a hood, entered the scene. The woman in the regal outfit turned to face the man. She raised an angry finger and said, You promised no harm will come to my daughter. I have kept to my promise, he said. Where is she then? I have been standing here for the last three days for a glimpse of my darling child. You promised me the crown. You promised me, the man began saying. Who are you to bargain with me, you dismal wretch? The queen interrupted. I am the king of a domain far more powerful than yours, the robed man said. 
Tariq watched the exchange with growing fascination as recognition dawned on him. The male actor's build looked oddly familiar. The man he had seen in his dreams. I don't care who you are or what mighty kingdom you reign over. I, Queen Cassandra, demand that you return my daughter, Princess Casilda, to my loving arms. The man in the yellow robe, the man who claimed to be a king, laughed cruelly. Stop laughing, you heartless monster, and take the wretched mask off, so that I may gaze upon the coward who kidnapped my daughter. Queen Cassandra said, No mask. It is no mask, the man said. The queen was taken aback. She took a few backward steps. That is no mask, she inquired fearfully. Look down at the lake. Your daughter is there, the man said. Queen Cassandra turned and peered down the balustrade that presumably looked over the shores of the lake. She peered at the still waters and screamed. I see her. My poor child. She is screaming from the depths, the queen said, before leaping off the balcony. Shouts of surprise emerged from the mouths of the audience members. The king in yellow turned to look at the patrons. To be precise, the isolates on his pallid mask focused on Tarek. He said, Casilda is not the only one screaming. So is Vipul. The power went out. Screams of terror rose from the gallery. People jumped up from their chairs and rushed for the exit, shoving and punching anyone who dared to get in their way. But the doors were closed. They banged against it, a relentless, desperate thumping sound accompanied by cries of abject terror. The number of patrons in the hall seemed to have swelled since the play began. There was not an inch of space in the midst of the throng that smashed and churned like debris in a stormy ocean. Tarek was shaken by what he heard from the actor's mouth. He couldn't believe his ears. Maybe he misheard it. How was it possible that this small town production? He didn't have the time or opportunity to speculate. Tarek was pushed along by the rush of bodies towards the entrance. Bony elbows, hard shoulders, clammy hands and thick heads pressed into his body painfully as the mass of bodies swelled and roiled. The stench of fear hormones secreted by the desperate souls made Tarek dry wretch. Slivers of light from the sides of the door teased the occupants of the hole. It didn't matter how many strong thumbs and shoves were landed on the door. It refused to budge. 
Tarek Froos. He saw the king in yellow leering at him from amongst the throng of desperate escapees. He saw the wretched pallid mask. He sensed the powerful malice behind it. And he heard the king in yellow over the din of the crowd that threatened to squeeze the life breath out of him. He said, Have you seen the yellow sign? Tariq Shah was lying outside on the steps of the communal hall when he regained his consciousness thanks to the fizzy soda water being splashed on his face. A young man with a pencil-thin moustache wearing a floral shirt and a pair of skinny pants was shouting, Sar, Sar, wake up! as he liberally sprinkled the cold liquid on Tariq's confused visage. The people, the play, Tariq mumbled as he sat up. I am Raju, your guide, sir, the young man said, as he continued sloshing Tarek with liquid from a fire-rupee green goalie soda bottle. Stop what you're doing, Tarek said angrily. I came looking for you when you didn't turn up at our appointed meeting place, Raju said, placing the bottle on the steps and wiping his hands on the back of his trousers. Tariq looked back at the locked doors of the hall where he had watched that godforsaken play. Have they taken everyone to the hospital? Tariq inquired. Raju gave him an odd look and said, What? I don't understand. I was inside watching a play and then Tariq began saying. Raju pulled down the sides of his shirt and flashed a knowing smile. Ah, you must be on drugs like a lot of the other tourists who come here. What did you take? I am not on bloody drugs. There was a play on and then the power went out and there was a stampede. People were screaming and trying to get out of there but the doors... And this man in a mask. Tariq felt lightheaded. And he stopped talking and took a few deep breaths. Sar, that place hasn't been open in years. Many, many years ago, there was a gas leak at a function held in there and many people died, sir. It was a great tragedy. Raju said, But I was there, watching a play. Tarek protested. Come on, I think you need some lunch, Raju said, lending him a hand. Raju and Tarek grabbed a lunch of roti and sabzi from a local food store and proceeded to the lodge which was located above a restaurant which only opened for dinner. Tarek was relieved to be left alone in his room after being subjected to an hour of Raju's incessant conversations on everything ranging from his colourful history as a guide, his family's dubious links to a royal family 
and his love for Salman Khan movies. That and the cheesy ghost stories surrounding Bhagatfort, which seemed to be inspired by B-grade soap operas that droned on endlessly on Indian TV channels. An arrogant princess, the curse of a tantric, mumbo-jumbo that Tarek didn't have the time for. It is true, sir. The place is super haunted. The only reason I am offering to come with you tonight is because of the extra cash. Otherwise, it's not worth the risk, sir, Raju had said. Sure, Tarek said dryly, unable to hide his contempt. Tarek's son was trapped at the fort and he needed to get to him. That is all he cared about. Raju had left the lodge, promising to procure a driver who might be willing to take them to the fort at night. But he had warned Tarek that it might be a hard ask, even if they threw lots of money at the problem. Given the hesitation of the superstitious residents of Dausa to go anywhere near the fort at night. Not many people have bowls like me, sir. Mine are big. My mother always used to say, I am the bravest boy in Dausa. Raju had said before he left whistling the tunes from a Bollywood item number. Tarek sat down on the rickety wooden single bed and looked out of the only window in the tiny room. Dusk was settling on the horizon and the heat was down to manageable levels. Tarek was still struggling to process what had happened to him at the hall. Given the already stressful nature of his mission, he decided to resign to the fact that he was probably dehydrated and exhausted. He must have collapsed and passed out on the street and had a nightmare. He started thinking about what he was going to tell Vipul when he finally met him. He would ask him why he chose to hide in the ruins. He would ask him about the whereabouts of Ashish. And once he had some answers to pressing questions, he intended to apologize for not being a good father. For not shielding him properly from a cruel world that judged him for his sexual orientation. He would apologize for not working hard enough to make him forget the sadness brought about by the loss of his mother. But before he said any of those things, Tarek was going to hug his son tight like he was never going to let him go. Tarek wiped away tears and looked on as the orange of the dusky sky turned to a crimson red. Raju was digging into a plate of samosas and mint and tamarind chutney when Tarek came down to meet him at the downstairs restaurants. It was a rustic joint with benches and tables that had seen better days and fried foods showcased in glass containers. A tall stainless steel chai brewer shot steam out of its rattling lid with clockwork consistency. The eatery had the capacity to seat 20, but it was crammed with double that number. Hungry day labourers, eager to catch a meal before heading off to their crowded dormitories, noisily chewed their meals, stopping occasionally to engage in loud chats with their companions. A ceiling fan covered in cobwebs rotated listlessly and offered no relief from the heat radiating from the tiny kitchen at the back. 
Do you want me to order anything for you, sir? Raju asked. No, I will eat later. Tarek said. Raju shook his head before biting into another samosa. Then he stopped and said, Sir, what kind of books do you write? I know you said you wanted to write about the fort and that is why we are visiting the place tonight. But I was curious. Do you write spicy masala ones? Raju inquired. What do you mean? Tarek asked, raising an eyebrow. I am currently reading a masterpiece called My Hot College Adventures. Sizzling, sir. Sizzling. One sex scene followed by another. My favorite bit is when Jitu the hero accidentally enters the girls' hostel. Raju began. No, I don't write about creeps. I translate great classics of English literature into Hindi. Tarek said. What? Raju asked, looking confused. Never mind. Did you find a driver? Tarek asked. Yes, he will meet us here in half an hour. Raju said. He then smiled cheekily and scratched the back of his head and said, He obviously asked for 2,000 more rupees, sir. Obviously, Tarek said dryly. Raju smiled as he devoted himself back to the task of devouring the plate of fried delicacies. Tarek suddenly decided he needed to eat something before their trip. He bid Raju farewell, grabbed a small pack of snacks, paid for it and exited the restaurant. He saw a few empty benches underneath a gulmohar tree in the distance. Tarek decided to venture out there to eat in peace. He needed to mentally prepare himself for the task at hand. A street light on the opposite side of the road kept the darkness at bay and it did not seem to disturb the roosting birds on the tree. A night breeze evoked a muted reaction from the foliage ever so often and swept eastwards towards the hill country, barely leaving a dent in the oppressive heat. Tarek had just sat down and taken a few bites of his oily snack when a man dressed in a saffron monk's outfit came and sat next to him on the bench. He placed a cloth sack covered in Sanskrit quotes in the space between the two of them. A saffron shawl was wrapped around his upper torso and his head and it hid his face. He did not acknowledge Tarek's presence at first. The man just stared off into the distance, as if the desert night would bring forth secrets his soul had craved for aeons. His hands, which were the only exposed parts of his body, looked ancient, like they had been baking in the sun for decades. Clearly, this was an elderly man, a pilgrim most likely. The region was famous for its many Hindu temples. Tarek continued eating, even though he felt discomfort at the proximity of the man. He wanted solitude. Dowser had no intention of offering it to him. I have worked on the manuscript for ages. My eyes, my hands and my intellect are failing me now. The man spoke abruptly. Tarek stopped mid-bite and turned to look at the man. A hundred years, and I have only managed 
a few lines. The man said, Who are you? Tarek asked. I keep reading the play repeatedly. I am obsessed by the madness of it all. Such corrupt delights within these pages. The stranger said, I am not interested in talking to you. Tarek said, getting up from the bench. I don't know if this is a task I am qualified to continue. I am intoxicated by its vile contents. Should an alcoholic be allowed to manufacture Madeira? I don't think so. The man continued. Tarek had barely taken his first step away from the bench when the man grabbed onto him with one hand. The strength of his grip shocked Tarek. The skin on the stranger's palm felt like tree bark and Tarek cringed at the sensation. The stranger tapped his cloth bag with the other hand and said, The play needs a new translator. Then he looked straight at Tarek. In that brief moment, Tarek saw the man's face. The skin was wrinkled beyond belief and it clung to the bones desperately, as if flesh had completely evacuated his visage. His eyes were milky white and his teeth was covered in a substance akin to dried tea leaves. Tarek pulled away his hand in horror and staggered back. At that exact moment, his attention was drawn to Daju, who was calling out his name. Sir, sir, the driver is here. Raju was standing in front of the restaurant, beckoning him. When Tarek glanced back at the bench, the old man had departed with his bag. Sir, sir, the driver is here. It's time to go to the fort. Raju could be heard in the background. But Tarek's eyes were fixed on the translator, who was plodding into the cloak of darkness.